I know that most of our World War II soldiers are gone. There are a few left. But I grew up in the midst of men and women that fought in World War II. The stories were remarkable. Even though I grew up watching the Vietnam War on television, World War II was amazing because number one, it was over with, but number two, we won. And I remember the stories about the difficulties that those young 17 and 18 and 19 year old men had to face, most of them being led by soldiers who were well skilled from World War I. And I remember them telling the story about waiting on that most important battle on D-Day to break the clutches of the Third Reich around the throat of France. They were there off the coast of Normandy. Those first troop ships that, that opened up fell short. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young men drowned there. They never made it to the beach with their weapons. We fought that battle and we won and, and it was an amazing thing and that was a turning point. That was, that was the inevitable moment that everyone realized where we were going. And it was powerful and even to this day when you read about it or watch a movie about it or hear one describe it, 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 it grips your heart because you realize the dedication and the determination of those people that fought that war to win they weren't fighting just to be obedient or fill in their space. They literally were fighting to save their country for their future. And they understood that. When I read this story in Mark chapter 9, it's repeated in Matthew and Luke, by the way. But, but here in Mark 9, this is a seminal moment for the Christians who are looking for the Messiah. For the ones who've been following Jesus and, and they had their doubts and they had their frustrations and they had their arguments back and forth. But this was the seminal moment for them to understand the blueprint of all things. It amazes me how we forget and lose touch with what we're here for and what's ahead of us. I really think that we handle funerals the wrong way. I think funerals ought to be a send-off to a great vacation. They should be celebratory. We should be excited. We should be a little jealous. Because they've moved on to truly what God had called them to do forever. What He intended for all of us to do before the fall in the garden. We've got to understand that this shows us the picture of something mighty here. You know, when I remember when uh, Stephen Jobs used to roll out something new at Apple, he would walk out there, and, and of course, he, he was never decorated in anything more than a gray turtleneck and a black pair of pants, but he wanted the centerpiece to be what he was rolling out. And we'd sit there, you know, with bated breath and, and slobbering all over ourselves to buy the next phone. And to have that, that special one. And, and then we started getting older and we started losing. Have you ever lost your phone? Oh my goodness. 
Uh, That happens, doesn't it? But he would celebrate what they were bringing forth because he wanted them to realize how important it was. And, And that's exactly what Jesus was doing there when he took Peter, James, and John up that mountain away from everybody. Because these were the three disciples that could change everything. And there Jesus told them, stand here. And he walked up a little past them. And he transfigured himself. Now, a lot of people are frustrated with that. This was not a commercial for Clorox, by the way. Uh, The only thing they had to describe this with is his clothing was whiter than anybody could have ever bleached it. Let me explain to you what it was. The glory of God shone through his clothes in such a marvelous way that it blinded them. They saw truly who Jesus was in the flesh. He was all man and all God, but he had an opportunity to show them his divinity, who he was fully and totally and absolutely. You know, it's amazing when he did that, Simon Peter, who always, he always was certain of the right thing to say, and it was always the wrong thing. And he spoke wrongly again. He says, I don't think we ought to be here. Well, Jesus brought them there. They were meant to be there. And then he said, well, let's build some monuments. That's so Baptist, isn't it? Something happens, let's put a plaque on it. let's, Let's have a celebration. Let's dedicate this. That's not what that was about. He was missing totally and absolutely what was going on. And I want you to understand right now what was going on there because it was so significant. There stood Moses and Elijah. Now, first of all, I'm concerned about how anybody knew that was Moses and Elijah. They didn't exactly have uh, the, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica with a picture of those guys in it. Nobody carried around, you know, photos of them. But they knew immediately who they were. Some people believe that they represent certain things. Let me explain to you what they represent. They represent the only thing that will ever save you in your life. Jesus. Not the law as represented by Moses. Not the miraculous workings of a prophet as simulated by Elijah. Neither of those will get you to heaven. Only one thing. If you notice, God didn't recognize Moses and Elijah. He recognized his son. He said, listen to him. He wasn't directly, but he was indirectly saying, don't worry about Moses and Elijah and what they've said. Truly, the one you need to listen to is here. He is superior. You know, to me that is so amazing. Because Jesus shows them truly who He is. They see that. He is greater than Moses and Elijah. He's beyond them. He's God. And they had a tough time understanding that. It had been 1,273 years since Moses died and was buried by the angels. It had been 896 years since Elijah rode off in a whirlwind. In a chariot of fire. But God was demonstrating something so important to them that they needed to understand. Moses had led God's people out of Egypt. 
Elijah had been the faithful prophet, so faithful that God took him to heaven without even dying. Yet as significant as they were, he wanted them to realize who Jesus was. We get so easily distracted sometimes. We, we follow the wrong thing. And we forget that Jesus is the center. Not a man. Not a denomination. Not even a, a, a way of seeing Scripture. Every so often someone comes along and they find a different way to, to, to divide or, or look at Scripture. And people start following them because just like the Israelites when they wanted a king because they could see a king. They could touch a king. They could talk with a king. But God was so far above them. They didn't know how to relate. I don't know about you, but when I'm really sick, when I think I'm dying... I'd like to have some good doctors around that know what they're doing, but more than that, I want a God around that loves me and will watch over me. I want to understand that. I want to know that I'm safe and I'm saved and I'm protected and He can, he can protect me from all things. And so often we forget about the importance of that. We're all going to face that time in life. Ultimately, when we realize that human hands cannot change us, that all the wisdom in the world cannot touch us. And there's one person that's been to heaven and come back to earth. There's one person who went in the grave and won the victory there over death. Will he be beside you when you face that ultimate conundrum of life, which is passing through the veil? I admire Simon Peter wanting to put up those, those, those monuments. I'm not making fun of him. But so often we want monuments, and monuments are usually beside graves. They don't mean a whole lot. Jesus is not to be celebrated in the past. He's to be celebrated in the present. Do you remember the story when Moses was standing there and he's getting all this information from God about going and, and delivering the Israelites from the Egyptian bondage. And he asked a very important question. He said, who am I supposed to tell them sent me? Now, names matter, don't they? Who you speak for or who you represent in your business matters. God spoke to Moses, and he didn't say, the God that started all this in the Garden of Eden, he didn't look to the past. He didn't even look to the future. You know what he said? He said, you tell them, I am has sent you. Now that's so important. That's present tense, always. You see, God does not have in His economy a past tense or future. Because remember, time was created not for God's benefit, but for ours. Because we have a limited existence here on earth. God doesn't. He can move and go and, and travel wherever He would like to be. Time is meaningless for Him. He, he is the present tense God. He is here with you when you need Him. He can act on your behalf by going past you or forward before you 
or stay around you. He will always be there. You can never go anywhere where you can get out of the presence of God. That's amazing. That's why it's so laughable in, in, in uh, the Garden of Eden when after Eve and Adam had sinned. They realized they were naked and they hid. Sort of like little children, you know. They do that same thing too when they're small. God called out and he said, Adam... Where are you? Now, let me explain. God did not know where he was, geographically speaking. He knew exactly where he was. What he was doing was he was asking Adam, Why are you where you are? Where are you? What has happened in your life? Let's think about it. Because I want you to understand what's happened and why it's happened. God knew exactly what was happening. He simply wanted Adam to open his eyes up to the truth. People wander through life from birth forward, and they don't know where they are. They don't realize that God is following them, that he loves them, that they matter to him. He has a purpose for, for you that's so significant, that's so powerful, that if you miss it, you will miss the most important thing for eternity. Because if you don't identify yourself as a child of God who's been forgiven by Jesus and who has a responsibility to walk with Him, you've missed the greatest thing in eternity. As a teenage girl told me one day in a chapel I was speaking in at a Christian school, she said, I said, what is the most frightening thing about eternity? And she jumped up and she said, there's no do-overs. You know, once it's done, it's done. You don't get a five-minute warning, as an older gentleman told me one time. He said, I'll just wait for my five-minute warning, and I'll make everything right then. That sounds like a smart idea. No, it sounds like a very stupid idea. Who is willing to gamble with their own soul? And here's what's amazing. What's amazing is once you get saved, you realize, you know, I really didn't know what to do anyway. I should have listened to God. My life is, has so much more purpose and reason now. This is why I'm where I am. But secondly, I want you to realize this. Jesus is the center of God's plan for you. He is. The whole scene shows a stunning picture of God's plan, and Jesus is that plan. You can't go and eat there today, but Mitanapa is, is a, a, one of, I, I guess, three Mexican restaurants here in Selma you can go and eat at. But like most Mexican restaurants, the, the, the vast population of the people that own them are Catholic. And they close on Sunday, and they respect that, which I, I respect and admire. Do you know what Mitanapa means? Mitanapa literally is the great mural or the murals of life. And that's what God is giving us here as Jesus stands transfigured. That is the great mural of life that we're looking at. The law won't save us on one side. We can try to live right, do the best we can, but you know what? You can live right and people will still say things about you that will destroy other people's opinions of you. I know a lot of people that just simply 
fell into a bad situation and somebody named them the wrong name and everything went south for them. They did nothing inherently evil, but it just happened. The law will not save you. I don't care how hard you try. In fact, Aristotle said, he said, you know, not only do you need to live a perfect life, you, you, need to, you need to have your family behave too because they can ruin your name after you're gone. And that's true. Law won't save you. Neither will miracles save you. Do you realize that every miracle that was ever performed by Jesus and his disciples, every single one of them, did not last forever? Lazarus eventually died again. The blind man went blind at some point later on in life. The cripple that could walk eventually succumbed to that in old age or at death. Miracles don't last forever. Only one thing will last, and that's the relationship you have with Jesus when He forgives you of your sins. Because that transcends death. That moves far beyond it. That is the blueprint that we've got to follow. Not Moses or Elijah, but Jesus. You know, Jesus was there all along. He was there in Genesis when it says, Let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. He was there with Abraham, and I believe with all my heart, when Abraham was traveling and leaving the Ur of the Chaldees, headed toward Haran, and he encountered a man named Melchizedek. Read the story of him. Melchizedek had no beginning or end, no father or mother. I believe Melchizedek was the pre-incarnate Christ. And he gave 10% of everything he had. And, and count it, he had more livestock than most of us. And he gave a tenth of it to Melchizedek to honor him. He understood who he was encountering there. As Jacob blesses his twelve sons, he predicts things for Judah that will be fulfilled only by the Messiah. David goes to his throne and in his greatest sin, producing a child from a woman that he stole from a, a, a husband and had him killed to get her. And God took that child away. But in his sin, David went in and washed and, and dressed and went into the house of God to worship. And he made the greatest statement of belief in Jesus, even though he didn't know his name. He said this, he said, that child can't come back to me, but I can go to him. There was no concept in that time of resurrection. The Jewish people to understand but David, in his understanding of the nature and the power of God, knew that one day he would be resurrected and would go to God. There's so much about God that we see painted in life. There's so much about Jesus we can understand because the hope that He gives no one else can offer. Somebody can be your friend, but they, they will not always be there. They will not always last. General Douglas MacArthur, when he was signing the papers for the Japanese surrender at the end of World War II, did something that was so odd, especially for MacArthur. He brought on board with him two other men who had suffered greatly. And when he was given the document, and after Hirohito had signed, he took it to sign his name. And he wrote, General, 
and then he handed the pen to another man. And that man took the pen, and then he wrote, Douglas. And then he ceased and gave the pen to another man, and he wrote, MacArthur. You know why he did that? Because he knew that his name alone could not give the power to say the war has ended. Because those two men both had been taken captive. They stood at death's door and they survived. And MacArthur said that he never regretted doing that. He said protocol dictated that he was to sign it. But he said my signature had no power without these others. Because truly they faced death straight on. And they were resurrected. Dear people, we've got to understand in our lives that there's only one decision that really matters. Yes, if you decide and you pick the right school to go to, that's important. You need to pick the right life partner. Very important. That can change everything. But before any of those things, you need to pick who will guide your life forever. Not just for a while, forever. Because you see, Jesus is not starting a relationship that begins and then it ends at some point. No, it doesn't end at death. In fact, truly, it begins then. Because as we pass through that valley, and I love the way the psalmist describes it, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Several weeks ago, we lost a lady that, that I love dearly, Barbara Bird. Feisty, most opinionated woman I've ever met. But I loved her. We all loved her. You never ask her anything without putting on your asbestos clothing because she'd burn you. She'd tell you what she thought. But you know what? She loved dearly and deeply. And she left this world... She enjoyed being alone. She and I spent one stint for three and a half hours together in the hospital when she almost died about five or six years ago, Linda. I can't remember how long. And she was going through a bout of depression. I walked in the room and all the lights were off and the door was shut. And I walked and pulled the chair up and I said, What's going on, Barbara? And she told me that she'd struggled with depression off and on. And she said, in fact, that's why I started reading. Because she said, reading took me places that I've never been before. And she said, my reading led to travel. And I love to travel. And, and, and she loved information and new, new things. And she loved to tell you about her trips. In fact, if, if you saw her picture on the obituary, you understand that picture was taken in Hawaii. One of, one of her favorite trips she ever took. When I got the call the other day and I got over... To the house, and it was sad. But I told Hoot and Linda, I said, She's taken the trip of an eternity, and she's gotten there safely. And the trip was not about the journey, it was about the destination. Now, I got to admit, and Hoot, you know it, you heard it, ten, uh, ten days before. She died. I was at the house there, and you were there, and I made the statement to her. I said, Barbara, I said, your, your husband's in heaven. And I said, what a time he's having. 
I said, Calvin's just, he, he is celebrating and he's happy and everything's great. And she said, well, I'll straighten him out when I get there. That was her comment. You know what? One person got straightened out when she got there. Barbara. And she was happy about it. She made that trip and she made it safely. And I'm so thankful for that because truly, who can we let go of those that we love and entrust them with other than their Savior? Dear people, there's a blueprint. It's right here. And it's very simple. Don't look to the left or to the right. Look to Jesus. He's the only one we can trust. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much that you give us the inspiration in your holy word of truth. We don't have to test it because we can trust you. We don't have to doubt you because you've never failed us. All we have to do is first surrender. And Lord, thank you for that word because that means we do nothing. We just quit doing and we surrender. And then secondly, we need to begin to trust you day by day, step by step, situation by situation. You will guide us. And Father, I pray that we would do that even now that we would learn to surrender to you in salvation and trust you day by day as we walk with you. Now, Lord, I pray that you would speak to someone here today that's seeking. They're seeking hope and help. They've tried other things, but they know that they've not found the genuine. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to them even in this moment. And Father, if there's one here that needs to come and join this church or to come forward and complete their commitment to you by being baptized. Lord, speak to them. They know and your Holy Spirit can guide. And I pray as we sing this hymn of invitation that we would trust you in this moment. We pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.